Good morning, dear friends. Good to see you this morning. If you have your Bible with you, will you take it out and go over into your Old Testament to the book of 2 Samuel? Please go into your Bible to 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter. As Brother Dave stated earlier, my family and I are certainly happy to be back with our Monta Vista Church family. We had a wonderful time away on a vacation, but there's no place like home. And it's nothing like being able to sleep in your own bed, and we're very happy and thankful to be back with our church family and in our home. Also very thankful that uh, the Greeleys are here today, and Brother Allen is here, looking forward to him leading us. And I know what is going to be a wonderful study from God's Word, and we're so thankful that he and his whole family are here today. This morning, in our first study from God's Word, I would like to use my time to rehearse with you the story of someone who was pretty important during the time of the kingdom of Israel. This person was a young man, and he was very handsome and ambitious and charismatic and rich and powerful and influential, and he even came from a great family. He even came from the most important and influential family in all of Israel. He was someone who clearly had a lot going on for him in his life, but he also possessed many bad qualities. He also possessed many ungodly qualities while he was handsome and charismatic and wealthy, the Bible also says that, that he was ruthless and he was deceiving and hot-tempered and even disrespectful. He was disrespectful to his father. He was disrespectful to the entire kingdom of Israel. He was also disrespectful to God. He was someone who may have had high goals and aspirations for his life, but sadly, he went about achieving those goals and aspirations using very wicked methods, using very sinful methods. This man that I want to talk with you about this morning was not a righteous man at all. And in case you're still wondering who I am referring to, let me submit to you that the person that I'm referring to this morning is named Absalom. Absalom. My dear friends, we are first introduced to Absalom right here in the book of 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, we learn that Absalom was actually one of the sons of the great King David. He was one of the, son, of the sons of the man that is after God's own heart. In fact, he was the third son born to David with his wife, Maka. Maka was one of several wives that David had while he reigned as king. Maka was actually the daughter of a Gentile king. She was the daughter of the king of Geshur, and Absalom was a son born to David and Maka. And as we said earlier, the Bible says that when it came to Absalom's appearance, he was extremely handsome. 
He was a very handsome young man. In fact, in 2 Samuel 14, in verse number 25, the Holy Spirit tells us that when it came to Absalom's physical appearance, there, there were no defects with him. The Bible says that from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there were no blemishes. He was, in fact, the most handsome man in all of Israel. He had a very handsome and beautiful appearance, and he also had very, very long hair. And I want you to remember that hair because it's going to come back up later in his story. He was a very, very handsome man. And on top of that, the Bible also says he was very charming. By charming, we mean that there was just something about Absalom's personality that made people like him. He was very likable. He had charisma. He had charm. He had eloquence and, and persuasiveness. He was a very persuasive person. In fact, according to 2 Samuel 15 and verse 6, the Bible says that he was so persuasive and he was so charming that he was actually able to steal away the hearts of God's people. He was actually able to completely captivate the hearts of all of the people of Israel. He was a very charming individual, but we also need to understand that he was a very treacherous individual. He was also the kind of person that if he was alive today, you might want to be careful making him your friend. You might want to be careful trusting Absalom because the fact of the matter is he, he might stab you in your back. He, he might betray you. He might be polite and nice and, and kind to you one minute, but the next minute he's, he's trying to bring you down and destroy you because he's trying to get something that he wants from you. He's a very, very treacherous man. And I guess another way we could even say that is he was also a very heartless man. He was a ruthless man. He was the kind of man that if you crossed him, if you hurt his feelings, if you did something that he did not like, he might be nice to you for a while. He might smile at you and shake your hand and hug you and even throw you a party, but the next amendment, he, he might kill you. He might act as though he's forgiven you for something. He might act as though he's buried the hatchet, but he's only doing that to get you comfortable enough so that you can let your guards down and then he can get his revenge. That's exactly what we find him doing in 2 Samuel 13 when he kills his brother Amnon. In 2 Samuel 13, we find Absalom throwing a big party for his brother Amnon. He was nice to him. He was kind to him. He was very warm and endearing towards him. But he only did that so that Amnon could let his guards down. And then he could kill him and get revenge for something. Absalom killed his own brother. He was a heartless individual, but as I said earlier, he was also very ambitious. 
Very ambitious. You're in 2 Samuel chapter 15 here in the context of 2 Samuel 15 and verse 1. We need to understand that Absalom has spent about three years hiding as a fugitive. He spent three years hiding in the land of Geshur. If you remember, his mother is from Geshur. He's hiding in Geshur because he's afraid of David. He's afraid of what his dad David might do to him. Because remember, he killed his brother Amnon. He's been hiding in Geshur for a period of time, and David, after three years, has finally allowed him to come back home to Jerusalem. David has granted him a, a safe return back to the city of Jerusalem. He says, you can come back home. I will forgive you. I'll give you another chance. But I want you to notice what the Bible says here in 2 Samuel 15. Let's start reading with verse number 1. In 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 1, the Bible says this. It says, Now Absalom. Now it came about that after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. Notice that language after this. After what? After hiding out in, in Geshur for three years. After hiding as a fugitive. After his father David has finally forgiven him. Absalom, he's allowed to, to come back home. In fact, I want you to understand that after he has granted this safe return to Jerusalem, here at this time, he's next in line to become the king. He's next in line to become the next ruler of the people of Israel. The throne is going to be his after David dies. But unfortunately for David, Absalom doesn't want to wait until David dies for that to happen. Absalom doesn't want to wait until his father exits out of his life before he becomes the king. Instead, Absalom at this time, he wants to become the king right now. He wants to become the ruler of Israel right now. He wants that so bad that right here, beginning with verse number one, he's going he's gonna to form and execute a plan to remove David. That's what he's doing right here. And so notice again, notice again, verse one, after this time, after he's been a fugitive, after he's been allowed to return to Jerusalem, he provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. He used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when any men had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And he would say, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me and I would give him justice. Verse five. And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts. He stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that it is right here in this text. Right here we find the beginning of the very tragic story of Absalom. 
And I want you to notice very carefully what this tragic story involves. First, I want you to notice how Absalom's tragic story here is a story that involves deception. Do you see that? Do you see how there is deception involved in these verses? Do you see that there is deception involved in what Absalom is doing? Again, notice carefully how after being forgiven by his father, and after being granted a safe return back to the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says that Absalom waited for several years to go by. And then he started out on a mission to win the hearts of the people of Israel. He started out on a mission to deceive the people of Israel. The scripture says that he would actually get up early in the morning. And he would go and stand by the road leading to the gate of the city of Jerusalem. And when people were getting ready to come into the city of Jerusalem, he would intercept them. He would grab hold of them and he would ask them, what are you doing here? What's your problem? What's your complaint? What do you want the king to do for you? And when the people told him what they wanted from the king, he would then manipulate them. He would act as a true politician today and he would flatter them. He would take hold of them and kiss them and essentially say to them, man, your, your complaint, that, that's a serious complaint. That's a serious problem you had there. If, if I was the king, I would take care of that. I would listen to you. I would bring you justice. I would make your life better. He would say those kinds of things to the people who were going to see his father. That's how he stole away the hearts of the people. That's how he captivated the hearts of the people of Israel. Absalom's story is a story that involves deception, but not only does it involve deception, secondly, notice how it also involves betrayal. Betrayal. You see, by flattering the people and claiming that he could be a better king to them, you know what he was really doing? He was really stabbing his father in the back. He was really diminishing the influence of his father, David. He was aggressively trying to steal away David's kingdom. In fact, when you continue to read the rest of this chapter, and we don't have time to do that this morning. When you read the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 15, you're going to see. That after flattering and manipulating the people for several years, he, he was able to gain a very strong support group. He was actually able to form a faction in the kingdom of Israel. And after he formed that faction, he stole away his father's kingdom. He stole away the people's hearts so he could steal away his father's kingdom. We know this for certain because in 2 Samuel 15 and verse 13, after Absalom had gained a strong support group and after he had gained a faction, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 15 and verse 13 that a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel, they're with who? 
They're with Absalom. Absalom's tragic story involves deception and betrayal. And let's just add to that by saying that his story also involves heartbreak. Heartbreak. If you go home and you read, again, the rest of 2 Samuel 15, and I certainly recommend that you do that, I want to suggest that you find a very sad revelation given by the Holy Spirit. If you read the rest of 2 Samuel 15, you're going to see that after Absalom gained a strong enough support group to be declared the king, he was actually able to force David out of the city of Jerusalem. He was actually able to force David out of his own capital city. And so I want you to picture that in your mind right now. I want you to, want you to picture in your mind the great and the mighty and the strong King David, the man after God's own heart. He is on the run with fears and tears from his own son. His own son has him fearing for his life. This was such a sad and traumatic time for David that he actually writes about it in the third psalm. That's what the third psalm is all about. In the third psalm, David writes about how depressed he was during this time. He writes about how afraid he was of his own son, and he's, he begs on God to deliver him. He calls upon God to save him from his own son. This is indeed, 2 Samuel 15 is indeed, at least in my understanding, one of the saddest scenes in all the Bible. You know, it's one thing to, to be running and afraid and fearing for your life from King Saul because Saul is jealous of him and Saul wants to kill him. It's one thing to be running from Saul. It's another thing to be running from your own son. It's another thing to be running from your own flesh and blood. Absalom was a wicked son who used wicked means to steal a kingdom that did not belong to him. He used wicked means to usurp his father's throne, even though his father had forgiven him and given him a second chance. It's a very, very sad story we find here in the Bible. And I want to suggest that there are several lessons that I think we can learn from this story. And here's the first lesson I want you to take home this morning from this tragic story of Absalom. First this morning, I want you to take home that from the tragic story of Absalom, we learn that righteous people can have wicked children. Would you agree with that this morning? Righteous people can have wicked children. I hope you will agree with that because that is certainly what is going on here in the Bible. That, that is certainly something that we learn all throughout the Bible, it is especially something that we learn when we read and study our Old Testament. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we read about good and righteous people having some very wicked children. Let me tell you something. King David may have been a man after God's own heart. King David may have been a good man. King David may have been a righteous man, but... He was someone who had some very wicked children. He had some very wicked sons. You remember that guy Amnon I told you about a few minutes ago? The brother that was killed by Absalom? 
Don't feel too sorry for Amnon because Amnon was a wicked man. Do you know why Absalom killed Amnon? I'm not justifying what Absalom did, but I want you to know the whole story. I want you to understand that the reason why Absalom even killed Amnon was because he was upset because Amnon had raped their sister Tamar. Absalom got revenge for Tamar. Amnon raped their sister. Amnon was a wicked son. Absalom was a wicked son, and David even had another wicked son who went by the name of Adonijah. David was righteous, but he had wicked kids. And he's not the only one. I'm reminded also of the great priest and judge named Eli. Remember Eli? Remember, Eli also had some wicked sons. He had two sons who were priests. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were so wicked that they would steal the sacrifices that the people brought to be sacrificed to God and they would even lay with prostitutes in the tabernacle. David and Eli had some wicked sons. And I'm also reminded of King Hezekiah. Remember King Hezekiah? Hezekiah is one of the few righteous kings of Judah that we can read about in the Bible. He was a righteous man, but his son Manasseh, oh, Manasseh was a wicked man. Manasseh was an evil man. Manasseh was so evil and wicked that the Bible says he offered his, his own children sacrifices to false gods. David, Eli, and, and Hezekiah were all righteous men who had wicked children, and the question that we need to ask this morning is why in the world does this happen? Why in the world do righteous people sometimes have wicked kids? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons for that, so listen carefully. First, I want to suggest that this sometimes happens because it is possible, it is possible for righteous people to be bad parents. It is possible for righteous people to have bad judgment when it comes to parenting. And I certainly don't mean to be unkind and, and insensitive when I say that. But the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, that's something you can read about in the Bible. That's something that you can read about throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, you find numerous examples of people who were good and godly people, but they were not very good parents. Again, David was a man after God's own heart, but you're never going to find him going up for a Father of the Year award, okay? He wasn't a very good father. He wasn't a very good parent at all. And the same can also be said of Eli. Eli was a priest and a judge. He was a righteous man, but he was a bad, bad parent. You know why David and Eli were bad parents? <laughs> they were bad parents because they were guilty of doing like a lot of parents do today. And that is they were guilty of overlooking the sins of their children. 
They were guilty of putting their kids on this high pedestal when they were kids were clearly sinful. And they never disciplined their children in the ways of God when God gave them instructions to do that. Sometimes this happens because righteous people can be bad parents. But secondly, sometimes this happens because sometimes parents can be doing all the right things. They can be bringing their children to all the services. They can be reading the Bible every day with their kids, praying every day with their kids. Training their children, disciplining them in the ways of God. They can be doing those things for several years, but as time goes by, even though they're doing all the right things, their children turn out wicked because as they get older, they themselves, as free moral agents, decide to reject Jesus. They themselves, as free moral agents, decide to reject God. Brothers and sisters, we got to understand that when it comes to these kids we're raising, when it comes to these precious little ones, when it comes to these great gifts, that we receive from God, they're not programmed robots. As much as we would like them to be, they're not androids. They're not programmed robots. Instead, you know what they are? They're free moral agents. They're human beings who've been made in the image of God. They are people who will reach a time in their lives if they live long enough where they themselves will have to make a choice about Jesus. They're going to have to make a choice themselves about what they're going to do with this Christianity thing. You see, as parents, all we can do is give this our best shot. All we can do is, is make sure we're, we're bringing them the services and, and we're reading the Bible with them and we're praying with them and we're trying to live a godly example in front of them and we're trying to discipline them in the ways of God. As parents, all we can do is give this our best shot each and every day, but at the end of the day, there's going to come a point in the lives of our kids when they're going to make their own choice about Jesus Christ. They're going to make their own choice about Christianity. They're free moral agents, not program robots. You see that here from Absalom, don't we? We see that righteous people can have wicked children, but I want to give you a second lesson to take home. And my second lesson is this. Secondly, from Absalom's story, we see that when it comes to beauty, inner beauty, not, not our, outward beauty, but inward beauty, that's what's most important. That's what's most important. And, and would you agree with that? Would you agree that inward beauty is what is most important? I hope you will agree with that because that's the truth of the gospel. When you go in your Bible to 1 Samuel 16, go back to 1 Samuel 16. I want to show you something, please. In 1 Samuel 16, Remember when Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel after God had rejected King Saul? Remember, he went to the house of a man named Jesse, and Jesse had all these sons that he was lining up for Samuel. And when Samuel came to Eliab, David's brother Eliab, Samuel said, this guy's got to be the next king. He just looks the part. Remember, that's the same mistake they made with Saul. They're making it again. And in 1 Samuel 16, in verse number 7, after 
Samuel said Eliab has to be the next king because he looks the part. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you see what's most important to God? Notice how when it comes to people, the most important thing God cares about is not the outward appearance. It's not the height or the looks or the long hair. Instead, it's how a person looks on the inside. It's the heart. God cares about my heart more than anything else. He cares about your heart more than anything else. And the only reason I'm bringing that up to you this morning is because that's exactly something we see going on with Absalom. Remember when it came to Absalom, he was a very handsome man. Remember from head to toe, there were no defects in Absalom. He had a very beautiful appearance on the outside, but on the inside, he was ugly. He was corrupt. He was full of deception and wickedness. The question is, how do you look on the inside today? You know, we come to services and we try to dress nice, look nice for the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. But the question is, how do we look in here? How do we look in our hearts? How do we look when it comes to our souls? When God looks at our souls, when God looks at our hearts, does he see sin? Does he see wickedness? Does he see corruption? Or does he see righteous spiritual beauty? Does he see a person who really wants to serve and put him first? From Absalom's story, we see the inner beauty. That's what's most important. And then a final lesson I want to share with you is this. From Absalom's story, we see that wicked methods, wicked methods, they lead to ultimate failure. If you remember when we left off with our story of Absalom back in 2 Samuel 15, things looked pretty bad for David, didn't they? Remember David, he was getting run out of Jerusalem by his own son. David is afraid for his life because his own son is trying to kill him. His own son is running him out of Jerusalem. That's where we left off with this story. But as Paul Harvey used to say, and I, I know I'm young, but I at least know who Paul Harvey is. <laughs> Let me give you the rest of the story. If you go home tonight, and I'm giving you a lot of reading to do, but if you go home and you read 2 Samuel 15 through 19, you're going to see that as time went by, God made sure that Absalom got what was coming to him. While he did enjoy being king for a time, in due time, God avenged his servant David. God vindicated his servant David, and he did that through some very interesting circumstances. You see, during a time when David's army was fighting against Absalom's army and the forest of Ephraim. The Bible says that Absalom was riding along on his mule and his long, beautiful hair got stuck in a tree. It got actually caught in a tree limb and the mule kept going, but he was stuck there in the tree, stuck there, totally helpless. And guess who came across him? Joab did. Joab was David's top 
general in his army. And Joab took some spears and he stuck them right in Absalom's heart and he killed him. He killed him right there in the forest of Ephraim to David's great displeasure. You see, Absalom used wicked means to accomplish his goals, but in the end, guess what? He failed. In the end, God made sure that he paid for his evil deeds. So let me tell you something. If we follow in the footsteps of Absalom, God will make sure the same thing happens to us. My dear friends, if we use wicked methods to accomplish our goals, if we use bullying, if we use lying, if we use deception, if we start factions in the church, to align enough people to get on our side so we can get our way on a particular issue. If we do that kind of stuff, we need to understand that what happened with Absalom, it's also going to happen to us. God is watching us. He sees that evil, and in due time, he's going to make sure we face some consequences. Now, we may not face consequences in this life, but we will certainly face them in the one to come. Using wicked methods to accomplish our goals, that will always catch up with us. And the Apostle Paul teaches that principle in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. There Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. What is Paul teaching? He's teaching the principle of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. Absalom sowed a lot of evil. And in the end, he reaped it. He was a young man who had a lot of potential, but because of his wicked heart, he never reached it. He lived a bad life and he died in a bad way. And let's make sure we learn from his mistake. Let's make sure that we understand that living a life for the Lord not only leads to a better life now, but it leads to the only life in eternity. And so if there's someone here this morning who needs to be on the receiving end of that wonderful gift of spiritual life that comes from the Father. We want to help you with that this morning. If you need to be immersed into Christ or if you need to repent because you've been maybe living a life of wickedness and sin as a Christian, whatever spiritual needs you may have, it would be our pleasure to help you with that right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.